All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Um, last week we talked and uh, saw how Jesus calms the storm. He has the power and the authority to speak to the winds and the waves to say, peace be still, and the storm ceases. Well, we're also going to see that Jesus can calm not only the chaos from weather, but the chaos in your life. There's no one like Jesus. And so I think the challenge for me today is to show you from the Bible the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. And I think many times we come in and we're acquainted with the stories we know or we've heard some of the things that Jesus has done, but I want us to see with fresh eyes the goodness and greatness of Christ. Because three things happen that we see in the text when that happens. When Jesus becomes personal in your life, when, when you see His goodness and you taste that He's great, three things happen. One, you will begin to worship. Right? We were created to worship. And if we don't worship Jesus, we'll worship someone or something else. But also, when you come in contact with Jesus, your faith will grow. No one who spends any time with Jesus remains the same. Faith grows as nearness to Christ happens. And you'll see that today. And then finally, obedience. When you see the goodness and greatness of Christ, the reflection of a life will be marked by obedience to the Lord. And so that's going to be the challenge today. And so I want us to see this with fresh eyes. This, this is a, a very awesome text in that we see that there is no limit to the power of Jesus. And that there's no one that's too far away that Jesus can't reach. It's not a hard thing for Jesus to reach people far from God. And I want us to see that. This chapter and the calming of the sea are four accounts that have impacted my life, and I pray they do the same in your life. Other than the resurrection of Jesus that we see later on in Mark, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. All right, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for this time together. Father, with so much going on in our lives and, and in our city, I pray for just a few moments where we can see how awesome you are. And I pray that that transforms who we are. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we've talked about worship. We have a little bit of Cincinnati represented uh, among us. Now listen, Cincinnati's been playing a long time, and I've never seen this many jerseys and shirts in our city. Would you guys agree? As a matter of fact, yesterday I was eating at McDonald's, and <laughs> this poor lady next to me, was sitting. She's a little bit older. She lives downtown Covington. And she complained, you know what, a couple weeks ago, it was just too loud. So the Bengals had that home playoff game, and they had won. Well, she had been used to the years before where it was quiet by this time of year in our city. It's been a long time since Cincinnati had won a playoff game. But now they're doing some things. And, and maybe you guys have seen some of the videos, and maybe this was you. I was watching the game, but I was really watching the game when McPherson had to make a field goal, right? The game's on the line. I'm sitting at the edge of the couch. 
I'm thinking, man, I know what it's like to be a Bengals fan. This thing's probably going to hit the upright and not go through. But, man, he put it right through the uprights. And then you've seen clips. What happens when that happens with Bengal fans? Usually they jump, they're high-fiving, they're giving praise. Right? That's the, when you see something great happen, the reflex of the heart is worship. And that's what I want to see with Jesus. I, I love what's happened to our city. The downtown lights are all orange, even the art. They lit that up orange because they're celebrating. Some good's happening. The team's doing something good. Like, it's pretty neat to see downtown right now. How much more should we be blown away by the goodness and greatness of Jesus? I want us to see in the life that Mark is writing down, the account of Peter, I want us to see what Jesus does, I want us to see it be blown away by it. This is a historical account of his goodness and greatness. But don't leave it in the past. We know this Jesus. He's living and reigning today. And he's doing things today. And the church should be constantly giving praise and worship to him. All right, so that's, that's one thing. And then faith. We spent a lot of time when we started our church in 2015 in the book of John. All right. And the reason we did was because of these two verses. In John 20, 30 to 31, John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, talking about his gospel. But he goes on, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what the gospel writers are doing are saying, hey, this is who Jesus is. And when you put your faith in him, you will have life. If you don't see Jesus, you won't have the life that you were created to live apart from him. And that comes through faith. And so Hebrews 13.8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you're going to hear about a dude that's better than any dude you know. He's further from God than anybody that you know. And we've got some bad guys in our city. We've got some tough people around Covington. But nobody's further than the guy you're going to meet today. I promise you that. And I also promise you this, no one's in a worse condition than a 12-year-old girl you'll meet today. I can promise you that. And you're going to see how Jesus encourages a father to just don't worry about the news, just believe in me. And you're going to see how a woman who had been sick for years and had wasted all of her monies on doctors and trying to get well and there was no cure, how she had to have faith that if she could just get to Jesus, she'll be made well. And it's that type of faith I want us to imitate. And so I want you to see that as you hear, these are true. This is not uh, story time. This is real life that is happening. And I'll give you an example, right? So Mark is Peter's boy. What Peter sees, he tells Mark to write down. That's what we got. So Peter's hanging out with Jesus, and he's sharing what Jesus did with Mark. And he's right. That's this gospel. So yesterday, we had a men's league game at church. A couple of you guys were there. I can tell you, 
And my call made a three to send the game to overtime. And you might not believe it or not, but I was there. I saw it. Robbie, was that true? That's true. That is a true. Robbie was there. He can vouch for it. We're building up Mike this morning. You want to know what else is true about that game? Tracy Pope, one of the biggest dudes on the court, tried to take a charge in a men's league basketball game. He falls on the floor yelling after trying to take a charge. That's a true story. That happened. I was there. I saw it. I could draw, draw it up, put it right on the spot on the court. You guys believe that, right? You guys believe Mike made a three yesterday to put the game in overtime? <laughs> we, we need video evidence. That's what Mark is doing right here. Hey, you guys need to know what Jesus has done. I got to write this down so you guys will know. That's what we're going to see today. Like this really happened. So put yourself in the shoes of those that were with Jesus. How would you feel if you're walking with Jesus and he's doing what he's about to do today that you'll see? And, and so that's one thing with faith. And the other thing is that's just talk, right? So what I say, and, and Robbie could vouch, and DeMarcus could vouch for me, and a couple of other guys that, that are playing could vouch. And you guys would trust it, but there's something different when it comes to the Bible in that the Holy Spirit delivers the Word of God. And so we know that when Mark writes it, he's not lying. God cannot lie. What he says is true. There is no lie in God. And there's two verses that talk about the Bible that we'll read. The one is from uh, 2 Peter. He goes, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture, this book, this Bible, is not written by one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Mark is writing down exactly what the Spirit of God is telling him to write down. All right? Secondly, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God. And what it really says is, all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. That's what we have in the Bible. These aren't fanciful stories that are, are for a fairy tale with a good moral meaning. No, this is an eyewitness account of the Son of God. And we need to believe He's the Son of God. Because in believing, you have life. And, and so you're going to see faith throughout these three stories. And then, faith is only as good as the object you put your faith in. Right? Faith is only as good as the object you put your faith in. So I have a, a picture of bungee jumping. Now, I've never been, and I'm never going to go. However, I did a little research. There's only a 1 in 500,000 chance of that cord not holding. We've done something more risky as, as a, a church group. We went on a canoe trip. You have a 1 in 20,000 chance of dying in a canoe trip. I had no idea. But this, one in 500,000. Now, no, I would agree. I would agree. That's not a big enough cord. It doesn't matter how much faith that guy had at that point in time. It didn't matter how strong his faith was. When he jumped, the only thing that mattered was how strong that cord is. And what you'll see here is when you put your faith in Jesus, whether it's a little or a lot of it, what makes the most difference is who your faith is in. 
And when you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus changes everything. That cord will snap one out of 500,000 times. Jesus, that lifeline, will never break. <laughs> hey, either way, that bungee cord better hold. Either way, that bungee cord better hold. I think this is, this is going to be the, the challenge that you see. Because Jesus is going to do the same thing in your life. And, and when you go to Jesus, what you'll see is He'll require more than you were asking, but He'll give you more than you ever dreamed. So when He invited the disciples to follow Him, they had an idea, but they had no idea. And that's the true of everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And then <clears throat> lastly, it's obedience. It's obedience. Uh, some leaders are hard to follow and others are easy. Some coaches are easy to play for and some are really hard to play for. And what you see with Jesus when you're obeying the Son of God, you have someone who in three words calmed a hurricane. It says, peace be still and the seas were quiet. And you're going to see him do some awesome things. That he has all power and yet he loves you on a personal scale. He knows everything. He knows everything. And yet he cares for you. And so you know this, when you see in his word and when he calls you to do something, disobedience is bad for you. Because Jesus loves you and is working for your good. And the Bible has laid out how we best operate. And so the invitation to obedience is where life is. It doesn't rob you of stuff. It actually gives you life. And I want you to see that. So, so those three things in this text, worship, faith, obedience, but then don't leave it in the text, make it personal. So, so think about it in your own life. Don't, don't answer out loud. Who or what are you most passionately worshiping? Right? And the Bible talks about how our daily lives should be a reflection of God's glory. And that sacrifice is called worship. It's not just singing songs. It's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week thing. And your life is giving glory to someone or something. Who are you worshiping? And then do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him to save you from your sin? Do you trust him to change you? To transform your life? To give you a new mission? And then are you obeying are you walking with Jesus? That's what I want us to see in the text. All right, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read the first account. Baddest dude you'll come in contact with, we're about to meet. Baddest dude that you'll ever come in contact with, we're about to meet. Are we ready? Let's do some work. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. All right. They're at a cemetery. Dude with an unclean spirit comes up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm leading the charge, I'm jumping back in the boat and we go into another spot. Right? That's not what Jesus does. He lived in the tombs, speaking of the man with the unclean spirit, and no one was able to restrain him anymore. 
All right, so they've been trying to, to get this guy under control, but they can't. What, what have they been doing? Not even with a chain. Why? Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. Now, I don't know about you. Nobody can do that. Smash chains, crush shackles. This guy was uncontrollable. Something's going on with this guy. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Do you see the desperation of this man? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. You see a power struggle here, right? Well, it's not a struggle at all for Jesus. Check this out. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him. Send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town in the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The man they tried to subdue and chain up and put shackles on is now just sitting there, clothed, having a conversation with Jesus, and they're terrified. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. And now, what do you think they're going to do? I don't know about you, but if there's a scary dude and now all of a sudden he's okay, I'm going to have a conversation with the guy who helped him. But that's not what these guys do. Check out what they say. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Keep that in the back of your mind. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all or how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. And it's very important. The people didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but you see how Jesus still loves them and left them a witness of who he is and what he has done. Telling him to go and tell him how much the Lord has done. Now, got to make two side notes here. There, there's two uh, ditches that you have to avoid when it comes to this account. The first one, uh, you guys, if you've ever seen it, I'm dating myself a little bit, Adam Sandler in The Waterboy, when his mom says everything's the devil, right? You can't have a girlfriend because she's the devil. You can't play football, why? Because football's the devil, right? And so we don't believe that. We don't believe that there's evil in everything. However, we also don't want to make the other mistake, 
and thinking that there is no such thing as Satan, that there is no devil, that there are no demons. Because the Bible teaches us something very, very different. And you want to know what the worst place to be is? It's to be in a fight and you not know you're in a fight. You have an enemy. And he doesn't play games. There's a couple of verses that I want to see. I just wrote the verses on the, the board so you can take a picture of that and look at them later. But I, I just want you to see this. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Paul's teaching, so you're in a fight, this is how you're ready. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Right? So it doesn't have anything to do with how strong you are. It has everything to do with how strong Jesus is. The people couldn't subdue this guy with chains and, and restraints. They couldn't do anything. Who could? Jesus. So if you try to battle in your own strength, you're going to lose, and it's not going to be close. The reason why Christians are strong is not because they are strong, but because their Lord is strong. Because Jesus is strong. So we're standing in His strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your fight is not against other people. Check this out. Who's it against? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. You're in a fight. There are real bad things in this world. There is real evil in this world. And it loves to keep people in darkness from seeing the glory that belongs to Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Satan does. He'll try to blind you from seeing the glory that belongs to Jesus. And you want to know what he does sometimes? He'll even elevate a sport to look very glorious. Hey, spend your whole life pursuing this glory in this sport and you'll miss out on the glory that belongs to Christ. Or maybe Satan will show you how glorious being wealthy is. And so whether you're rich or poor, the goal is always more stuff. And you see the glory that a Mercedes is or a huge mansion. And you miss out on the glory that belongs to Christ. Satan will keep you from seeing the glory that belongs to Jesus. You have a real enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says this, Be sober-minded, be alert. Be alert. So you guys that play basketball on defense, you got to keep an eye on what? Your man and the, and the ball. you got to be alert because if you're watching the ball, your guy's going to go to the basket and score. you got to pay attention. That's what this is talking about. A soldier, you hear a twig break, you're on high alert. How are you living your life? Does it look like a life lived on alert? Or are you just going through the motions? Why should I be sober-minded? Why should I be on alert? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan doesn't play. Resist him. How? Standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith. And then John 10.10, 10, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus, I have come so that they may have life and life in abundance. Life to the fullest. And that's exactly what happens here. And you, you can see the, the power struggle. The people couldn't do anything with the demon-possessed man. But Jesus comes and says, hey, you guys are leaving. 
And they're like, uh, duh, uh, don't throw us into the abyss, son of God. And he sends them into pigs, and the pigs run and die. Now, there, there's a few things in this that I want you to see. The, the first thing, do you see how far this man is? Uh-oh, we got a loose one. <laughs> the good news is her mom was back there. All right. Hey, I want you to see how far this guy is from God. And you see it with four things. You see it with four things. And you'll miss this because of our context. The first thing, he has an unclean spirit. That's putting it lightly, right? And you see the gravity of this when you see 2,000 pigs run off because of the, these demons had this man. He was in bad shape. He didn't just have an unclean spirit. He had many demons in him. But then secondly, he lived among the tombs. Among the dead. You want to know what happens in this context? If you're hanging out in the tombs, you wouldn't be allowed to gather here this morning. In the Jewish tradition, if you touched a dead person, if you were in contact with a tomb or a casket, you had to go get cleaned and it took at least a week. And so you don't get to be in the presence of the people of God. Not only that, you see the Decapolis. This is a Gentile region. The Gentiles were considered unclean people. They, didn't, they weren't the people of God. It was coming through the line of David, who was Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's something new coming. And, and then you see with the pigs, pigs were unclean animals. You wouldn't come in contact with them if you were a Jewish person. And so what the, the reader knows right here is this man is far from God and you can't get any further. And what does Jesus do? He goes, and he changes them. You see, this is what I love about the gospel. And this is what I love about being in this city. There's a lot of people that have been written off by society in our city and in our school. Like, God doesn't have anything for it. He'll never go to church. He'll never do this. And what I see in the Bible is Jesus goes to that person. That's what I love about the gospel. The guy or the lady that you think is the furthest from God is exactly who Jesus goes to and transforms. Why? Because only Jesus gets the glory for that. Only Jesus will get the glory for that. And then I want you to see in this context, where do you see worship and where do you see faith and where do you see obedience? Worship, um, you know the pigs were the wealth of the city. And you want to know why they wanted Jesus to go? I think they had other herds of pigs. And that was their livelihood. And they had a choice. Am I going to go to this guy who just liberated and redeemed this man? Or am I going to be able to make my money with the pigs? And they chose the pigs. You can't worship both. You can't worship money and God. You can't worship your own glory and Jesus' glory. You can't worship whatever and Jesus. It's Jesus only. It's Jesus over everything. And that was the decision the people had to make. But you also see the faith. Do you see what he said? Uh, go home and tell them how much who? How much the Lord has done. So this man who had been demon-possessed now believes in Jesus as a matter of fact, put his faith in him that he is Lord of his life. 
Only Jesus could set him free. And he had faith in Jesus. And then you see the remarkable obedience. Go and tell him how much the Lord has done for you. And what does he do? What does he do? He goes. And he tells him. Now, here's the disconnect, right? Because I don't know if any of you have been demon-possessed. And Jesus showed up and cast out demons. And I don't know if any of you guys were running around a cemetery naked. That would be a little weird. Right? That's what... And so all of a sudden you see how... Man, this guy's life's transformed and changed. I don't have that story. That might be what you're thinking. But you know, Jesus' command to you is the same as it was to him. Go and tell people how much the Lord has done for you. Now listen, I can tell you this. You may not have been demon-possessed, but you were dead in your sin and trespasses, as was I. I didn't want anything to do with God. And then Jesus made me alive to the things of God. And he's changed my life. He's transforming me in from a selfish husband to an unselfish husband. From a father that I, I want to raise my daughter, but now I want to raise my daughters for the glory of God. Right? That changes every area of my life. And I need to tell people what Jesus has done. And I'm, I'm never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But I want to show and I want to tell how much Jesus has done in my life. Looking back, when I was dating Julianne in high school as a senior, and you would have said, um, you're going to go to Covington and start a church. You're going to have to do this, this, and this. I, I don't think I would have done that. And yet I look at what Jesus has done in my life, how he's transformed me, how he's transformed my wife and my daughter. Like, this is an unbelievable God. And we're so quiet about talking about what Jesus has done. Tell people how much the Lord has done for you. If your faith is in Christ, you have been forgiven your sin. You have been made new. You can worship Jesus. And you can know Him. And He can transform your life. That's what you see here. But then, Jesus doesn't relax. And Mark keeps writing. Check out verses 21 to 34. You're going to meet two people. When Jesus crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders, real quick, synagogue leaders, do they like Jesus or not? They don't. They don't want anything. They're trying to kill him. But check out this guy. His name was Jairus. came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. Real quick, that is an act of worship. You see the desperation in this man. And I don't know about you, but I can sympathize with this guy's desperation. You'll see why. My little daughter is dying. That's urgent. That's not, oh, she has a few weeks to live. What he's saying is, hey, Jesus, she is about to die. If you don't do something, she's done. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well. That's faith. That's faith right there. So Jesus went with them, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. It's hard for us to imagine this, but it would be like walking through this door and all of us right there on the, the wooden panel trying to get through. That's how this crowd is around Jesus. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. So do you see her desperation? 
Do you see her desperation? The father's desperate, but this lady is desperate also. She has spent everything. She goes to a doctor, but instead of getting better, she gets worse. And now she has no more resources. She has nothing else to offer. She's sick, she's dying, and there's nothing she can do about it. But, having heard about Jesus, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him from the crowd and touched his clothing, for she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. That's faith. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she, had, she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you? And yet you say, who touched me? Now, I want you to, to see the disciples. Where are they going? Where are they on their way to? The, the man who has a daughter that's dying. Do you, do you feel that urgency? And now Jesus is, like, the crowd's all around you, Jesus. You're asking, who touched you? Like, we don't have time for questions. That's what the disciples are doing. Verse 32, but he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, worship, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, be healed from your affliction. I love this story. You see the gentleness and the care, and yet at the same time, Jesus wants her to know something. Your faith was in the right place, is what he's saying. There's no magic here. Your faith is in me, and that's what made you well. You see, your faith, if you're depending on salvation, has to be in Christ and nothing else. It's not because you're basically a good person. It's not because you show up to church or you do this or do this. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be because your faith is in Christ and what he has done for you. And so you, you see this in the text. And you see, this is costly obedience. You see, the reason why the writer gets graphic in the story that she was bleeding for 12 years, it meant that she wasn't allowed around other people. Because again, according to the customs, if you're unclean, you can't go into the people of God. It was a ritual. It was a custom. And so her coming and touching Jesus would make him unclean. But you want to know what the problem is? When unclean people touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't become unclean. Unclean people become clean. Man, that's awesome. Because you and I are unclean people. And you say, ah, man, I took a shower before. That's not what I'm talking about. Your heart is a sinful heart. And yet when you come to Jesus, he gives you a new heart with new affections. Unclean people, when they touch Jesus, don't make Jesus unclean. They become clean. That's what you see in this account. That's what you see in this story. And, and you want to know what the goal of is in my life? Just to stay with Jesus. And to get as many people as I can into the presence of Jesus. I'm not trying to change people and what they believe, and how they live. But let me tell you something. When they meet Jesus, they're transformed. 
Unclean people become clean when they touch Jesus. But Mark's not done. I mean, what a day. You're walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden you see 2,000 pigs run off and die in the abyss, and a man made well, and then you see a woman after 12 years of being sick and desperate made whole, and your day's not done, and you're still walking to the sick girl. But it gets worse. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue's leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? You see, that's exactly what Jairus was afraid of. He said, Jesus, I need you to show up a little earlier. I need you to get there a little quicker. Have you ever waited on God for something? And you thought, man, this is taking a long time. What is God doing? Does he care? Is he running late? Am I not praying right? Jairus was thinking that. But check out what Jesus does. Verse 36. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Faith. He's saying, trust me. Trust me, I've got this. This is the crazy part. Jairus was just asking for a cure, but now he's in need of a resurrection. And Jesus just says, trust me. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. I love that. You see, the people thought Jesus was crazy at this point. Listen to their reaction. They laughed at him. They laughed at him. So I don't know about you, but when Jesus says something, no matter how outrageous it is, don't laugh at him. Just believe him. Just believe him. But he put him outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand. Ah, this is awesome. And he said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that they should tell no one and give her something to eat. This is an amazing account. In the custom, if a person touches a dead person, are they unclean? Yes. The problem is... When Jesus touches a dead person, they don't stay dead. That's the God we worship. So you might be thinking, I don't have much hope. My life is not what I wanted it to be. I promise you this. You're probably in a better state than the three people you met today. The demon-possessed dude, the woman who had been sick for 12 years, and the girl that was dead. And the difference maker is Jesus. When he shows up, he changes everything. I love the faith of the father here. Hey, by the way, I have a 12-year-old daughter. Balin just turned 12. I can't imagine her being, let's say, at, at Christ Hospital, and she's on her deathbed, but there's this guy who's healing everybody, changing everything. I got to go get him, and he's got to get here. I can only imagine how fast I would drive to pick him up. 
And I'd be praying and hoping on the way that he'd listen to me to come with me. And then when he says, okay, I'm like, oh, yes, there's a little bit of hope there. But then on the way, he gets distracted by this guy on the corner who's touched him. And then I get a cell phone call from Julianne saying, hey, Ben, it's too late. Don't worry about it. And then he looks at me and says, hey, just believe. I wonder how I would react. What do you mean, just believe? I waited too long. You waited. She's dead. It's over. You see, that's a small view of Jesus. Because for Jesus, just like a Tylenol can take care of a fever, Jesus saying, get up, can bring a dead person to life. And I love the care that he shows. He sits down, takes her by the hand, and says, little girl. says, daughter, get up. It's not a hard thing for Jesus. Just like a mom or dad waking up a kid. That's the power of Jesus. And now I want you to see this, and I don't want you to say, oh, well, that was nice for them. I want you to make this personal. This is the God you worship. When we sing Jesus over everything, we mean it. Over disease, over death, over sickness. Jesus is over everything. I want that to be a reflected reality in your life this week for the rest of the days that you have. I want you to make much of Jesus. Worship Him. Faith. Jesus can do the impossible. Number one, it's salvation. If you do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, put your faith in His work. Because one day He went to the tomb and He was buried for three days, but the grave couldn't hold Him. He had to go to a tomb so you and I wouldn't stay in a tomb. And when he comes walking out, what he is saying is, hey, I have the power over death. Trust in my work. Put your faith in me. And one day when you die, I'll tell you, get up and take you by the hand and lead you home. But saving faith isn't just for the day we die. It's for right now. Because sometimes it's a challenge to believe Jesus on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so maybe God's asking you to do something and maybe you're thinking, ah, it's not for me. Have a big view of Jesus and live a life of big faith. And then finally, obedience. When you see the goodness and greatness of Jesus, it's easy to follow. It might cost you your life. But Jesus has victory over the grave. There's no other place to be than in the middle of the will of God. Are you following Jesus? Maybe you've wandered off in several areas of your life. Confess it, turn from it, and get back to following Jesus. That's what I see in this text. The goodness and greatness of Jesus leads us to a life of worship, faith, and obedience. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the people gathered here this morning. Thank you for the people that weren't able to make it this morning. Lord, I pray that we speak much about what you have done for us.
Father, I pray that as we see your work in history, in the lives of a demon-possessed man, in the lives of a sick woman, in the lives of a dead daughter, I pray that that reality digs deep into our hearts and we see how great and awesome you are. There is no one like you. Father, we thank you for going to the grave and defeating death so that we might have life. And I pray that you change us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.